Good morning. It's good to see you again, and appreciate so much our worship team leading us in worship today. Um, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Today, we continue to give thanks. We don't just take one day a year. We continue to give thanks to God for His ongoing goodness to us, especially at a time like this when we need Him most, uh, COVID, and just all of the effects that it's had on us. We're uh, talking about rebooting, and when you reboot a computer or a smart TV or a cell phone or whatever it is, you shut it down, you turn it off, and then you restart it. And that's kind of where we are in our culture. We've kind of had everything shut down because of COVID in a whole variety of ways. Sometimes there's been some false starts, false uh, stops, and then we start up again. Now, the problem that we're facing, I think, is fear. The ongoing message of the media, the ongoing message pretty much everywhere has been fear. You know, be afraid, be very afraid. When you're afraid and there are limitations, there's anger and there's frustration. And this comes out in a whole bunch of different ways. So typically with anger or frustration, we tend to react. I'll tell you, when I react, I'm at my worst and so are you. So when we react, We've got to find somebody to blame, and that's exactly what we're going to be dealing with today. So, anyways, caution, absolutely, absolutely. Caution, fear, no. Fear is destructive. Bible says again and again, don't be afraid. Now, what we're going to be dealing with uh, today and next week is basically, how do we make sure that the next time, when we're starting over, is better than the last time? That's going to be the issue. There's an old saying that comes out of the AA recovery movement, and it goes like this, my life in five short chapters. Chapter one, I went out for a walk, and I fell into a deep, dark hole, and it took me a long time to get out, but it wasn't my fault. I went out for a walk, chapter two, and I fell into the same deep, dark hole, and it took me a long time to get out, but it isn't my fault. Chapter three. I went for a walk, and I came across the same deep, dark hole. I walked up to it slowly, got very close to it, and looked inside the hole, and I fell in again. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, went for a walk, and I came across the same deep, dark hole. This time as I approached it, I decided not to get too close, and I walked around it. Chapter 5, I went out for a walk, and this time I took a different street. <laughs> now, how many of you have ever heard that story? I can't see you, but you can raise your hands. I'm not going to ask how many of you have lived it, because, you know, probably most of us, at least at some juncture, have lived it. And it doesn't just apply to, you know, addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs or porn or shopping or anything like that. There are lots of different places. Sometimes it applies to marriages. Sometimes it applies to dating relationships or, or friendships or finances, a whole bunch of different things, okay? Now, I want to talk about excuses, okay? We live at a time, you know, when everything, you know, in some ways related, is related to COVID-19, and it shut everything down, and, and many of you are in startup mode, and it's not necessarily because of COVID. Things were already tough in your marriage or your relationship or finances or whatever, and so you got to start up. Now, what we've talked about at the governing board level and, and at the staff level is uh, using this imagery here. Uh, you're familiar with it, you know, right? And that is, there are some things 
you know, that we're just going to stop doing because they just are not productive anymore. For example, here at the church, giving out bulletins. We're not going to do that anymore just because of COVID and just because of moving on to uh, a different type of media. There are some things like the yellow light where we wait. Now, you know, for some people, the yellow light means you just go like crazy because it's going to turn red. That's, so there should be caution. There are some things where we need to wait and see because we don't know where everything's going to settle yet. So there's wait, we're waiting for some things. And then green light, go. I mean, the church, the mission of the church carries on, especially at a time like this. So we're going to be, we're going to keep moving forward, okay? Now, there is a time to start over. And it's really interesting. It doesn't just apply to people who've, you know, really struggled and their lives have fallen apart and so on. Jesus once told a really well-together, well-put-together man, you know, who had his act together. Everybody admired him in the community, probably in the nation. And he says to him, he says, you've got to be reborn. You've got to start all over again. You've got to reboot your life, although he didn't actually use that word. And you find in the Bible, there are a lot of words like that, you know, about reborn. We're called to repent we're called to be renewed, you know. God restores us. God redeems us. God reuses us, you know. There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return, and we are going to get resurrected, resurrected from the dead. So lots of words that have to do with doing things over again. In fact, you know, the Olive Branch Church is a start-over story. It's a start-over story for me and certainly for this building. This used to be a strip club, so it's a complete start-over. And the Bible's filled with people who had to start over again. In fact, the people that God used probably, you know, most, or most, most of them were start-overs. Now, I want to, you know, we've already mentioned three myths around this whole thing of starting over. And uh, so I just want to just reference them real quickly, uh, just so that we have a reference point. You know, the first myth is experience makes me wiser. <laughs> Actually, experience just makes you tireder, it makes you poorer, it makes you, you know, lonelier sometimes. Experience all by itself does not make you wiser. Some people, they relive the same year of experience. They have 30 years of experience, but it's the same year that they've lived over and over and over and over again. It only makes you wiser if you evaluate it. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with. The, uh, the second myth is, I know better, so I'll, I'll do better. Well, you know, most of us know things that we shouldn't do, you know, but that doesn't give us the power not, you know, to say no to them. We, you know, we don't have that kind of power. There was a guy I heard once, he was a um, comedian, and he was being interviewed, and he said, you know, I was told that I had the right to remain silent, he said, but I didn't have the ability to remain silent. And that's kind of the way it is for us. We do things that we know are wrong and destructive. We don't have, doesn't get, knowing doesn't give us the power to do it. And then the third one is time is against me. And this is especially true in relationships. You know, we're like, oh man, I got to get on with my life again. You know, got to get my name back on eHarmony.com on their profile list. And I got to move on, move on, move on, move on. All my friends are moving on and, and culture's moving on and so on. And actually, when you're starting over, time is your best friend. Time is your best friend. And there are people in the Bible who took way more time starting over than they wanted to. You know, David was one of them. You know, Moses was one of them. You know, Paul was one of them. Just about everybody, it took way more time than they thought it was going to take. Now, the question is, you know, if you 
are going to examine your experience so you don't do the same thing again, so you don't end up in the same ditch. How do you do that? And so that's what we're going to be dealing with. And, and uh, these thoughts are not original with me. Uh, I got them from Andy Stanley, guy, guy that uh, preacher that I, I admire a lot, good leader and so on. So if you want the next time to be better than the last time, the first thing you have to do is own it. And that's what we're going to really be talking about today. The second thing that you have to do is you have to rethink it. And then the third thing you have to do is you have to release it. Now, what does it mean to own it? Well, startovers don't just come out of nowhere, do they? I mean, most of us, you know, I had to start over because of a train wreck at a former church. Maybe you got fired, you know, and it was the boss who kind of had it in for you. Or maybe your marriage broke up, you know, because, you know, your wife or husband betrayed you. Here's, here's what I know. I know that, you know, most of us have a story that's associated with the pain that we've been through, and, and especially with a start over. Here's the problem. It's very easy to convince yourself, you know, that you're ready to start over and, and there's nothing for you to own. And the problem is that if you don't own it, you're going to smuggle the same behaviors into the next thing that you're going to be trying to start up. So you're going to bring, you know, your same poor judgment. You're going to bring, you know, same bad reactions or whatever from the past right into the future, and the same thing's going to happen. So to own it means to see what the problem was and admit it. Now here's the question, why is that so hard? Why don't we just do that, right? Well, I'll tell you why. Remember the deep hole story? It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault, not at all, you know. She was the one with the problem with the bottle, you know. He was the one who was sneaking porn into the house on his computer, you know. She was the one who was abusing prescription drugs. He was the one with the uncontrollable temple, temper and the abusive mouth. They were the problem. It's all their fault. Now, here's an added complication to what I think is this whole thing of wanting to blame something else. In March of 2020, we were handed the mother of all excuses. And I've already talked a little bit about this, but you've probably heard them, haven't you? You know? Well, you know, how come you didn't show up? Oh, you know, it's COVID. You know, can't, can't be there, you know. Well, how come you didn't go to work, you know? How come you quit? Uh, it's, it's COVID, you know. How come you're angry and bitter? Oh, it's COVID. COVID, you know, has caused the whole thing. And it's, it can become the excuse for sloppiness and unkept promises and lateness and substance abuse and resentment and laziness and just all kinds of stuff. And that's where we have to be careful, you know? If we are not careful in this reboot, you know, COVID could become the go-to excuse that pretty much is get out of jail free for just about any problem that we find ourselves in. And I'll tell you why it can do that. It's because blaming is part of our DNA. You knew that, I, I hope, anyways. Let me uh, take you back to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, yeah, right, two naked people running around in a garden, you know, with a talking snake. Come on, Ken, you know, we, <laughs> haven't we gotten past that? Well, let me just say, this is why I believe it's true, and most Christians believe it's true. It's because Jesus believed that it was true and talked about it and taught about it. And he said that, you know, told us how he was going to rise from the dead, told us how he was going to die, and he actually pulled it off, you know, and, and split history in half. So I believe pretty much anybody, uh, anything that anybody says who can actually pull that off. Let's talk about the blame thing, okay? So if you go back to the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2, you find out that God created everything good. 
and he put it under the leadership of two magnificent human beings. I mean, these were godlike people made in his image, Adam and Eve. And he met with them every day. It was a relationship of love and trust. But one day, he came to meet with them, and they weren't there for the appointment. And you kind of know the backstory, right? That uh, this deceiving spirit, you know, uh, in the voice in the garden that had basically misjudged God and questioned his motives was the ultimate deceiver, Satan. And so he starts hacking away, and he's been hacking away ever since, at the character and the love and the kindness and the grace of God. And you see this in just about every, you know, thing that's out there. You know, well, God is God, and if he's good, why does he do this, and so on. In this case, God had given Adam and Eve just one rule. Imagine that. Don't eat from this tree. That's it. Now, if you've, never been, if you've ever been asked to not do something, what is it that you want more than anything else in the world to do? It's what you've been asked not to do, right? You know, you can have a thousand other options, and that one option that's been kind of, you know, crossed off, you know, it, it kind of, you go by it, and it urges you, and it pleads with you, and makes these little sucking noises when you walk by, you know? And in this same way, the deceiver corrupts Eve, you know? And, and he basically asked the question, why is God being so weird about this tree? Maybe he's afraid, you know, that you're going to be like him. So I'm guessing she walked past this tree and looked at it and thought about it hundreds of times. That's just my guess, knowing human nature, you know. And she had convinced herself that this was the most beautiful, delicious, you know, wisdom-producing, you know, resource in the world. And she had to have it, had to have it says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now the problem with trying to make clothes out of leaves is that fall always comes, right? Now, what I want you to notice next is that God came looking for them. And that's just what grace is. That's what grace does. That's who God is. He came looking for them, basically saying, you know, not saying, you know, well, you screwed up, so like I'm out of here and you're out of here. I might want to add this. Maybe you failed and you're ashamed and you're hiding and you need to know that God is looking for you, not so that he can beat you up and kick you around in some room, but so that he can embrace you and forgive you and clothe you. The insight into human nature here is just profound, okay? Fascinating. Listen to the conversation. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Get this. They're in God's garden. He made the garden, and they're hiding there, okay? Then the Lord called to the man. Where are you? He said. I heard you walking in the garden. I was hid because I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, notice what the first instinct is, and we can relate to this, you know, when you get exposed. They're hiding in the shadows. They're trying to hide what they've done, you know. Dogs hide when they get into the garbage. We hide when we get into the garbage, you know. Two-year-olds start hiding, you know, when they mess their pants, and you know that they're, you know, getting ready to start getting potty trained because they know what's going on. You know, presidents Presidents hide. Prime ministers hide. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. I didn't do that, you know. 
and people hide. They hide text messages, you know, and Facebook accounts and receipts from their spouses, you know. They hide, kids hide broken stuff in the house, you know, and, and the messes that they've made, you know. Teens hide their Instagram and their TikTok posts from their parents. Employees hide stuff on expensive rewards. We sin, we hide, and then we blame. Oh, yes, we do. Now, what would have been the most honest and responsible thing for Adam to have done under these circumstances? God found him. He has to admit that he sinned, you know. And so, you know, think about that conversation, maybe what it should have looked like. Yep, God, you, you got me. I did exactly what you told me not to do. And I did it because I thought I was going to have something that you weren't willing to give me. And I accept full responsibility for what I did. And I take, I take full responsibility for this. Well, you know that's not what happened, right? Man replied, it was the woman you gave me, you know, who gave me the fruit. You know, she made supper. I just ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Now you see it, you know. God confronts Adam, you know. Adam, in essence, blames God. Hey, things were fine here in the garden, you know, until you made this woman and sent her here with me. She was the one that screwed up, not me. Okay? And then Eve blames the snake. I just hear around here, you know, walking around the garden here, looking at the trees and stuff like this, you know. And the serpent, by the way, which you allowed into the garden. You know I hate snakes, you know. I had no idea. It wasn't my fault. So she blamed the serpent. And of course, the serpent had to take the full weight of the blame, you know. He tried to defend himself, but he didn't have a leg to stand on. Now, sometimes people take exception to the fact that we have all been affected by this universal infection that came down, you know, through time, you know, to us called sin. And especially the fact that it's called sin, which makes us sinners. You ever notice, you know, people make mistakes, but they never sin, do horrible things. Well, I made a bad mistake. Well, yeah, it's called sin. And the word sin actually means missing the mark. You know, if you were shooting archery, and archery, by the way, is difficult. Try to, try to hit a target with, you know, with that. So to miss the mark means that you're shooting at the target, and I know that he's not holding it right here, so I get that. Okay, I'm, I know archery. And, you know, the arrows are going all over the place. So you miss the mark. Now, if you want to, you know, you can just kind of draw a target around where all the arrows go and say, well, I was aiming for that, you know. Well, that's not smart. Charlie Brown does that, but that's not a good thing to do, you know, because we actually just miss. We miss the mark. Um, and the reason that we're sinners is not because, you know, this book says that we're sinners and therefore we are. No, 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 no. We, we don't even keep our own rules. <laughs> How many of you know that you should exercise and eat right so that you can live? How many of you have been through three, five, ten diet plans? How many of you have started, you know, at the gym, you know, 16 times, and, you know, you went three weeks and then you stopped? We know these things, but being able to do them is a whole other thing. We know that we shouldn't humiliate people with what we say. We know that we shouldn't, you know, scream at our kids. We know these things. We don't even keep our own rules, Okay. And that's why instead of just admitting what we've done and accepting responsibility for it, we don't like the word sin, we don't like to be called sinners, and so we blame. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. And you need to know that all the promises of God are surround 
the whole thing of actually owning it, saying I did it. What's so, what's so bad about that? This is what it says. John, who was a close disciple of Jesus, you know, he wrote this in one of his letters. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is the favorite thing in our culture, right? No one's wrong. Everybody's right. Yeah, you know, who sets the, who sets the boundaries for right and wrong? There's nobody out there to do it, you know, so it doesn't matter unless they sin against you. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. That's what we want. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Wasn't me. Wasn't my fault. I kind of look at it like this, and I, I apologize for the poor drawing here, you know, but let's say there's a highway and there's a big ditch on the one side of the highway, and then there's a big ditch on the other one, on the other side. That's what First John 8, you know, 1, 8 to 10 is basically saying. You know, the first ditch is no one's wrong. No one's wrong. Everybody's right. And the ditch on the other side is it wasn't me. And the way to find forgiveness, the way to be purified, the way to be made right, the way to health and wholeness is it's me, Lord. In an old song, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. And that's what it takes. Forgiveness and cleansing is possible. And I'm not saying that you have to start over because you sinned. You know, it may have absolutely nothing to do with sin. It could be just, you know, some mistakes. It could be that, you know, somebody, somebody hurt you. But this part is just owning our part of what happened, okay? Now, here's what may surprise you. You know what Adam said to God? You know, it was the woman you put here in the garden with me. You know, she gave it to me and I ate. Now, who created Adam and put him in the garden? Well, God did, right? Who saw that Adam was alone and said, it's not a good thing for him to be alone and, you know, and made him a partner? God did. Who was the first one to get tempted? It was Eve, you know? Serpent spoke to her, you know? And she picked up the fruit and served it up to Adam. Now, when Adam said to God, basically, it's not my fault, well, it was true. But here's the deal. It just wasn't the whole truth. It wasn't the whole truth. And that's our temptation, isn't it? When things fall, things fall apart in a relationship or in a business or in a marriage or financially, you know, we all want to tell a story that's mostly true, 90% true. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, you know, 90, 90% is like 10% short of 100%. And what happens is when we play this game, we end up smuggling our stuff from the past, our mistakes from the past, our character issues and so on, into the future. We smuggle all the bad judgment, and what happens is then we make the same mistakes all over again. Now, you know, when we tell our story about how they had it in for us, you know, how this boss had it in for us, just like the last boss, and how my spouse, you know, like I didn't know that they were, you know, drinking on the side, you know, and how, you know, somebody's fooling around on the side. It wasn't my fault, the people that betrayed us. Well, there are many times there's another part to that story, but we hide it because it messes with our story. It sounds better if we're just victims. It sounds better if it's all somebody else's fault and it just happened to, to us. I was just standing there, you know. I wasn't expecting this. And I'm not sure when Adam and Eve stopped blaming, okay? But life got tough for them. 
life got tough for them. Maybe it was when their son Cain killed their son Abel that all of a sudden they realized, okay, we've passed this on. We've passed this on. And we have the story because they told somebody the truth. I'll tell you where this lands with me and maybe with you. To not, again, to not own our part is to smuggle stuff into our future from the past that we don't want there. And we are more likely to make some of the same mistakes. And this is the principle, and it's not, you know, it's not, again, I, I'm not the origin of it. If you're starting over and you want the next time to be better than the last time, then the first thing that you need to do is take part for, take responsibility for your part in your history. See, you know, when you throw 100% of the blame on others and you accept none for yourself, that's what happens. You become a smuggler and so on. You tuck all this stuff, you know, into this package and carry it into the future. And the question isn't, you know, can I get away with it? Because maybe you can, especially if you're the only one who's part of this story and, you're, and your friends really don't know what happened except what you told them, you know. But you sabotage your own future. It's like putting landmines in your own, in your own driveway. You know, uh, Peter talked about this, you know, and he said, the dog returns to its vomit, and you know, you wash a pig, and it goes right back to the mud, wallows in the mud again, you know? You know, and so <laughs> here's the thing. D did it hurt? If it doesn't hurt enough, then, you know, do it again until you get sick of the pain, until you get sick of what's going on. How do you own it? It's when you stop and ask the question, what was my part in this really? What was my part in this really? And then the next question is, do I want the next time to be better than the last time? What's interesting is that when you stop and honestly ask, what was my part in this, the temperature in the room goes down. You know why? It's because when we get hurt, we're angry, like really angry, okay? And the anger level, when all of a sudden, we accept part of the blame ourselves, you know. The anger level goes way down. This is kind of the uh, illustration I have of that, you know. Like, when you get really hurt, like when you have to start over, when something falls apart and, and you're embarrassed or whatever, anger level is way up there. And the Bible says that, you know, what you need to do to get rid of the anger is you need to own it, and then you need to forgive so that you don't get stuck with a heart that's full of anger. Now, I've told you about my start over, right? It was leaving past church, and it was a tough situation. I, in essence, got fired. And I'll tell you, I was devastated. I mean, I was really hurt by betrayal of people that I'd loved and cared for, you know. And I was embarrassed, too, because there's a part, you know, with a pastor when people say, well, what did he do? You know, must have been really bad, you know, and he molested a child. I don't, and I just wanted to say I didn't do anything immoral. I, I've been faithful to my calling. I've been faithful to my wife. I've been faithful to my family. I've been faithful to God. But I did, you see, have to own leadership mistakes that I made in the middle of it. And being honest about the things that I could have done differently all of a sudden lowered the anger level because I realized, okay, I was complicit in this. I was complicit in this. Instead of yelling, you know, but it wasn't my fault, I had to say, you know what, I played a part in this. And when I did, all of a sudden the story got way less interesting and way less emotional. See, when you're in reaction mode, you know, and you react, you can't think clearly. 
Because your mind is just, whenever anybody's in pain, they can't think clearly. And if you continue to just blame and accuse, what happens is then you get to the point where you can't remember the rest of the story. All you can remember is the story that you've been telling. Jesus said, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In other words, having a pure heart, having a clean heart, owning what I need to own helps me to see clearly, more clearly, what's going on. It's a path to blessing. And the bottom line is, you see, if I own my part, then I can't stay nearly as angry about their part. Remember the topic about a few weeks ago about the devil's campground, you know? Getting hurt, as I mentioned, creates anger. And the only way to drain the anger is to forgive. To not forgive. Like if you just say, nope, I'm going to let it stay in there, then what happens is, you know, then that anger stays in your heart and it gives the devil a foothold from which he can launch the rest of his attacks. And if you're going to drain the anger, you have to own your part of what happened and then you have to forgive other people for their part. And that is a big deal. But in the process, then you can respond instead of reacting. Now, I talked briefly about this in the talk I did on forgiveness, but let's just do kind of a review. One of the things that needs to happen in this process of owning it is to kind of draw a circle of blame. Now, you know, you can, we start out thinking, okay, well, they're like 99.5% to blame for what happened here. Me, maybe, maybe half percent. Maybe that's it, you know. So that's okay. You know, put that up there, write that out. But then you have to identify and say, well, you know, the part that I had here, you know, it, it was kind of like this. And here's the deal, okay? If you want peace with your past, you have to own your peace of the past. And that will help you. Now, if it's true, why wouldn't we? Well, as I mentioned, sometimes we stay with our story so long that we've actually believed it. Like we still, you know, it's like hook, line, and sinker, you know, and we become the victim and everybody else become the monsters who's, who've oppressed us, you know, and we're powerless to change. That's not a good place to be is to just be a victim and be powerless to do anything about it. See, if your only, you know, role in life is you've got a whole string of horrible bosses, you know, for like 50 years, or if you married, you know, a defective person who's a jerk, you know, and, and they hurt you and they hurt everybody else and so on, and you're just the victim of that. Or, you know, you, you know, you were a wonderful person who got used and thrown away and you played no part in that, you know. Or if you got, you know, keep getting duped into bad financial decisions, these people, all these people that are out to get you. That's a very helpless, helpless place to be. And what that basically gets you is kind of a platinum, you know, membership card to Pity Parties Anonymous. That's about all it gets you. I don't think you want to be just a helpless person, do you? The barrier to owning responsibility for anything in our lives, friends, is, let's just say it together, it's pride. That's what it is, right? And that's why God can't stand it. It keeps us locked in a pattern of pain. And we have a painful year or two or five. And instead of moving out of it, we move right back into it. And God wants to free us from pain. He wants to free us from the disillusionment and the anger. 
The embarrassment of accepting appropriate amounts of responsibility, I'm telling you, is way less painful. You pay for it up front, but I'm telling you, it is way less painful than just recycling your pain again and again and again and again. Maybe it would sound something like this. You know, I was dating him, and I had a feeling that something wasn't right about this, but I just ignored it because, like, we'd already, you know, made the wedding plans and sent out the invitations and so on, and I kind of saw it, but, you know, I was just afraid to do anything about it. Or, you know, when she was making the presentation about how good this product was, how easy it was to sell, you know, and how easy it was to make money, man, I loved the lifestyle that I was seeing out there. That was really cool. I, I, I wanted that lifestyle. But it blinded me to the fact that this wasn't going to be as easy as it looked. And I began to see storm clouds on the horizon. I saw some behavioral changes that, that concerned me, you know, with, with, my, with my wife, you know. And, but I was afraid of confronting her. I was afraid of confronting him. I, I just didn't know what it would cause, and it might just make everything worse. And so I didn't. You know, over time I could see a problem in the work arena. I could see that she was becoming more controlling and more intimidating. And, but I was a terrified of sitting down and confronting her because it might mess up everything. Yeah, I knew as the evening moved on, you know, that things were kind of getting out of hand and so on. And, and I should have left. I, I, I had the sense inside that I should leave now. But I didn't have a ride, you know, and I was afraid to ask somebody and afraid to kind of embarrass myself by walking out, so I, I just stayed. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I said all kinds of things, you know, about how, you know, meaningful my relationship was with her, but it, honestly, it was, it was really just lust. That's all it was. I knew it was wrong but I did it anyways. I wasn't enticed. I didn't just kind of slip in, you know, unnoticed and stuff. I took a swan dive into the cesspool. I saw this stuff. So whatever it is, you know, would you just own it? Would you just own it? Because you see, God is full of grace. God is full of power to help you to not repeat the past in your future. You know why we have these amazing, brutally honest stories in the Bible? You know, about how Adam and Eve believed a lie and ruined everything? About how David got his friend's wife pregnant, you know, and then killed him to hide his own lust? How Solomon, wisest man in the world, sacrificed his children to pagan gods? How Peter, you know, denied even knowing Jesus when Jesus needed him the most? You know why we have these stories? It's because people owned what was going on. People admitted their part. Paul and Barnabas, two great leaders, they had such a bad argument, you know, that split up their whole missionary partnership. We have that story because they owned it, because they told it. They were truthful. Jesus once said to a group of stubborn people who really needed to own the truth to be set free so that they could come to him, he says, you will know the truth and it will set you free. That's what truth does. I don't know what your start over story is or even if you're in one, you know, in one right now. 
But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I'll tell you, here is the good news. The next time can be way, way, way better than the last time. Why don't you choose it? If you need to own something, own it. If you don't, don't. But if there's something that you need to own, just do it. Truth sets you free. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much that you are a truth teller. You tell us the truth about ourselves. You tell us the truth about this world. You tell us the truth about things that are going to mess us up and hurt us and hurt other people. You tell us the truth about things that we will re regret. You tell us the truth, God, about making bad decisions, about making decisions based on the wrong premises. You tell us the truth all the time. Help us, oh God, to tell you the truth. Help us to tell ourselves the truth and own what we need to own. Amen.